And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our strength and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we do not hear your voice, O God, we ask you to speak to each of us then here in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. We are in the second week of our series entitled Giving Up Anxiety for Lent. And like last week, we are spending time with Jesus in what should be anxious circumstances. I emphasize should be anxious circumstances. And here's the thing. Our circumstances don't automatically become non-anxious just because we want them to, right? We may pray and, say, and, and think, I want for this anxiety to go away. I want for this fear and this uncertainty to go away from the circumstances I'm in. And sometimes it doesn't. But Jesus demonstrates for us that what removes, that, that we can't remove the anxiety from our circumstances but we can rise above the anxiety with the way we respond to that anxiety. And Jesus modeled that for us, the way he responded to anxious circumstances from a place of living above them. Remember last week, we recalled the 40 days of fasting that Jesus spent in the wilderness. The enemy came to him with temptations and even tried to turn the, the, take the truth of the 21st Psalm and use it to deceive Jesus. But Jesus knew who he was, and he knew where he lived. And he was God's beloved son, and he lived in a higher place of confidence because of who he was. We, as adopted children of God, should be living out of that same trust and confidence so that when situations like the one in today's passage arise, we can respond as Jesus did. But in order to do so, it would help us to look at what happened right before the Pharisees came to Jesus in verse 31 of today's passage. And if you have your Bible with you today, you can see, and you've got it open already, you can see back in verse 23, eight verses before where we start today, someone asks Jesus a question, just a lighthearted question, an everyday conversation question. He looks at him and he comes up to him and he says, he or she actually comes up to him and says, Jesus, who will be saved? Will it just be a few who are saved? And Jesus responds in the way that Jesus often does so beautifully, not with an easy answer, but with a parable, with a story that casts some deeper meaning on the question and the answer to that question. And the parable that he offers talks about finding the narrow way, finding the narrow way to the Father, the narrow road or, or the narrow path is or what some translations read. And we remember as Jesus uses this analogy that his word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path because we need his word to see the boundaries that the word of God places upon us. Boundaries are rules for living, following the way of the cross, the teachings of Jesus. And those rules of this narrow way that Jesus has laid out before us are not always popular and they are not always easy. Think of the areas of the world that we pray for every Sunday where worshiping Jesus is dangerous. It's simply getting up and walking out the door and walking to an underground gathering of the church could mean risking your very 
life. And following him, that, that's what following Jesus may in, entail on the narrow way. And following him also means rejecting the other doors, the wider doors, the wider paths that lie, that the world tries to offer to us. A few years ago, I was on a vacation in northwestern Connecticut, and I was driving around the countryside. As a mo- that area was mo- is mostly rural, and there are just some beautiful sights to see, especially in the fall. And I remember coming to a one-lane bridge. Has anybody ever come upon a one-lane bridge before, or maybe a narrow bridge? Well, if you have, you know that you can't just fly through a one-lane bridge at cruise control. Well, you could, but it likely wouldn't end well for you, and it may do harm to others as well. And up until then, when I was driving on, when I was driving these these uh, country roads, I'd been moving at a pretty pretty steady speed, not going very fast by any means. But at a pace, it was at a pace that was comfortable to me. But when I saw that sign that the bridge ahead of me was one lane. I immediately started thinking, okay, only one lane, not two lanes, no traffic from both directions, and you could immediately see that this bridge was way too narrow for two cars to be side by side upon it. And as I got closer, I could see a car coming from the other direction. We both slowed down. One of us pulled over, signaled for the other to cross, first slowly, and then the other slowly pulled forward and made it across. The narrow bridge that only one person can cross at a time causes us to stop, slow down, and assess our next steps. We have to focus uh, that we are dri- to make sure that we are driving down the center of the bridge for safety. And it's in moments like these, when surprises come up in life, that we are training our minds and our spirits on how to respond when the road before us and life changes rapidly also. We saw this happen two years ago when the pandemic first hit and the road before us changed and, we, and it required focus and attention and a, re- a reassessment of our surroundings and our priorities. We're seeing it now with the war in Ukraine as we focus in on what is happening, how we got there and how we can move forward from here and how we can pray for our brothers and sisters there. Even the rise in gas prices recently have caused us to reach a one lane bridge where we're reconsidering our boundaries around spending, around finances and travel and simple everyday decisions. That in, and in doing so, this could show us to be good stewards of what God has given us. Now, I just named to you three very real recent circumstances of pandemic and war and economics. And all of these circumstances I just named to you are fraught with anxiety. They are full of possibility of fear and stress and uncertainty, not to mention what you may be going through in your life as well. We can't turn around from everything, and we can't turn from all of life's difficult seasons. Sometimes we can only move through them. Yes, it would be so easy to turn around at that narrow bridge and say, I'm just not going to fool with this. But sometimes we have to cross that bridge and we have, and we can do so with God's help slowly and carefully with focus on what he is showing us. And Jesus invites us to approach these anxiety ridden circumstances through the narrow door. 
He is the way. He is the door who leads to that narrow path, and he is with us each step of the way. Today's gospel lesson tells us that in the very same hour that Jesus calls us to enter by the narrow door or the narrow way, in his way and his instructions of sacrifice, the Pharisees come to him with some news. They come up to him in verse 31 and say, hey, Jesus, guess what? Herod wants to kill you. Talk about an anxiety-ridden statement to bring to him. Now, this is the thing. We've been through 10 chapters of Luke already, and we have seen people say that they wish Jesus ill in Luke's gospel. Yes, Jesus has many followers. He has many supporters. He has many disciples who are doing the work that he has called them to do. But Jesus also had enemies that were out to get him. Even these Pharisees, these men in verse 31 who come to quote-unquote warn him about Herod, have been out to get him, trying to trap him so they can arrest him. And what they say to him should startle Jesus. These words should rattle him, should fill him with anxiety. But you know what? Instead, Jesus is already full of the Holy Spirit. And because he is full of the Holy Spirit, there is no room for anxiety and fear and uncertainty to take up residence and fill his being because he knows who he is. He knows how to navigate the one lane bridge for he knows the one way to abundant life is with his father. And without hesitation, he responds to the Pharisees in verse 32. Look with me again in verse 32. Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow and on the third day. I finish my work. Now we might chuckle in this modern age when we think of Jesus calling somebody a fox. That's just not something we do every day, right? But in his day, what Jesus said was a dangerous insult. If word got back to Herod that Jesus called him this, Herod's desire to kill Jesus would become a rage to kill him instantly. But Jesus isn't worried about the threats. He's not worried about the truth that he has just spoken about Herod and his, and the, because Jesus has eternity in his heart. He says, I'm doing what the Father sent me here to do, healing, delivering the beloved people who have turned to me, and he will raise them up on the third day. Then Jesus does something remarkable. He's declared his confidence in the Father, but then he gets very realistic about his circumstances in verse 33. Look with me at verse 33. Jesus says, today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way. Because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jesus is talking about here and acknowledging that, yes, he's going to make it through these trials. He will cross this bridge, but it's going to be hard. He's going to walk through loss. He's going to experience death. And before death, he's got to walk through tremendous suffering. Suffering is part of entering the narrow door of eternal life. And here's where we as the church often err in our responses to anxiety-inducing situations. We often jump to verse 33, the one I just read, and we spiral into it about the reality and the seeming uh, overwhelmingness of our circumstances, and we skip over the the truth of verse 32. Here's the truth of verse 32, friends. Herod is defeated. The serpent's head is crushed. Victory is in Jesus, our Savior forever. He sought us and he bought us with his precious blood. And yes, we still face battles in the body of Christ today, but he has already 
given us that victory. But anxiety takes control of our lives when we skip that verse of confidence. We, yes, we have to live realistically in the fact that life can be scary and we have to make some difficult decisions sometimes. But we acknowledge that reality after declaring and living into God's truth. What emerges from Jesus in this moment of trusting God and honesty about his circumstances is a plea for his people. Instead of getting caught in a lament and grief for himself over the loss that he's going to experience, Jesus takes that sense of grief and that sense of loss and he prays over those who are persecuting him. He prays for those who are condemning him. He offers a lament asking them to please repent and to turn and to change their ways and they are the, the, the Pharisees are wanting Jesus to run but Jesus knows when not to run from circumstances instead of walking away from those who rejected them rejected him he grieves for them in verse 34 we hear him Jerusalem Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. I cannot read this verse without thinking of a parishioner of mine in a church that I've pastored in years past. And he used to write these prayers every Sunday based on the lectionary for that day. And after the sermon, he would offer the prayer that he had written. And he was a poet. He was a very creative English professor who has now gone on to be with Jesus. But I remember this particular Sunday after I preached on this passage, he got up and he very quietly, uh, after a little bit of silence, he addressed the Lord in his prayer as Mother Hen Jesus. He said, Dear Mother Hen Jesus. And of course, all of us started chuckling. You could hear these chuckles throughout the, con- throughout the congregation because we'd never thought of it that way before. But then, at the more, as I re- read this passage over the years, and I always go back to him basically looking at Jesus and saying, Hey, I want you to be my Mother Hen. I want for you to tell me what to do. I want for you to protect me and, and, and hold me where, we, where, where I am. And I think that my, my friend and my former parishioner was getting to something that we so often miss, and that is the fact that Jesus is lamenting over us, the body of Christ, because we're not willing to be gathered by him, to be nurtured by him. He's speaking with exclamation points, not out of worry, but out of a profound grief that we are running away from him when he is running toward us. Friends, that is what grieves the heart of the Father, that we're running away into the anxiety. We're running away into our circumstances, trying to solve it all ourselves. And yet God is running towards us saying, be still and know that you belong to me. When we find ourselves in anxious circumstances, we may not physically run from them, but spiritually and emotionally, we so easily run from Jesus. Part of the reason is that we are having to problem solve. And yes, thanks be to God, he gave us the mind of Christ to problem solve in difficult circumstances. But our minds and our hearts begin to run when we start worrying, when we become consumed by life's what ifs. Then we start to spiral. We become dizzy and unfocused. And imagine how different this passage would be, friends, if Jesus had given in to the anxiety and lost his focus on what his purpose was. But he sits before us as a perfect example of how we recenter ourselves in who he is when we want to run. In verse 35, he says, I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. When faced with anxiety in the desert from Satan, Jesus declared who his father was, where he lived, and where he came from. 
Today, Jesus is faced with the anxiety caused by people's words. Let me say that again, because that is something that we live in every single day. So much anxiety that we live in is caused by one another's words. And Jesus, instead of getting caught up in those words, declares his father's word and purpose for him. He focused on his present and his future calling. He responded not in reaction to what others wanted him to do, but rather declared with confidence why he was there, where he was headed, what he needed to do. What if we trained ourselves with God's help to turn our attention away from words that cause us to spiral and to the word of God instead, encouraging us to look forward, look ahead, move across that bridge with care and in reality, but also with confidence that we live beyond that bridge. We can do exactly that and we can help each other to do that. One of the best ways that we can be like Jesus to others is to help them get their focus back on what's in front of them. To simply say, let's stop running. Let's be still with Jesus. Let's remember where we are headed. With Jesus, we are headed to a glorious future that may not feel so glorious most days, but as a people set free by his blood and into his resurrection, let's be bold to call a fox a fox and to remember that the fox has been defeated, that the cunning sly schemes of the enemy We still have to walk through them sometimes, but we will not be controlled by them because Jesus has cast down the power of unhealthy words. He has cast down the evil that so easily ensnares us. He has cast down the fear that tries to rule and reign over hearts that he has set free. So let us encourage each other. Let's help one another to see beyond the circumstances right in front of us and to live above them, to move forward into the future unafraid. For Christ is indeed with us, and he is the one who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the blessed three in one, now and forever. Amen.